0: This hour of Boat Talk is made possible in part by Gamble & Hunter Sailmakers, making sails for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main windjammers for over 20 years. Near the harbor in Camden, gambleandhunter.net.
1: It's just a few seconds before 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at weru.org. Boat Talk with Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague is up next.
2: Good morning, good morning. It's uh, 10 o'clock to second Tuesday of the month. Time for Boat Talk here I'm on Community I'm Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill 89.9 and 102.9 in Bangor. Boat Talk is a radio call-in show for people contemplating things naval with your rusty anchors Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. It's a call-in show where the conversations can go from a ribbing to stern measures all in one call. One one 625 9378 is the number to get into Boat Talk. We have a lot of little things to talk about in the beginning, and then we have an interesting guest to get to in just
0: a quick bit. First, going to start off with some bad news. Well, let's introduce uh, Steve Rinker is here with us this All morning. Right. Steve's from Hamden. Steve sent us an email, and, and Steve is going to be a participant in something called the Round in 10 uh, race. That's right. Uh, thanks uh, for having me on your show. Good morning, Steve. Yeah. Um, if you have uh, access to the Internet, you may want to check out some visual aids to this. Uh, Aroundin10.com yeah. right is now. the website, and it is literally a race around the world in 10-foot boats.
2: Yeah, it's the, the written-out number 10, not not the actual
0: numbers. ten. Yeah.
2: Aroundin10, all one thing, dot com.
0: So anyway, we'll, uh, we'll chat with Steve, and we've already told him that as long as he's here, he's welcome to uh, basically... Pipe up at any time, uh, as much a co-host as a guest. So uh, (laughs) welcome, Steve, this morning. The phone number is uh, 1-866-625-9378. Yeah, and we interrupt ourselves about any time to see what you're interested in. And, uh, you know, we just play it kind of loose around Botox. We'll see what happens. But we like to start with some uh, timely... Uh, news items to begin with, and Alan was reminding me, of course, that it's Veterans Day today.
2: Right, we're going to mention that in a bit. Or, well, I can mention it now. As it being Vet- Veterans Day, um, we have been remiss in not having any veterans on Boat Talk, any uh, naval veterans, so I'm just going to put out a quick call to anybody who knows any uh, any naval veterans who would like to uh, either be on Boat Talk or just uh, talk with us. We can come and record uh, your... Whatever it is you have to talk about uh, at your place, too, Uh, you can reach us through our website, which is boattalk.org. And uh, let's go on to uh,
0: Bath Ironworks. That's a great idea. And of course, uh, Veterans Day is the anniversary of 11 11 11, uh, you know, the day to end all the war, the end of the war to end all wars. So it's going pretty good. Uh huh. The uh, chief naval officer, in the spirit of uh, Veterans Day, chief naval officer of the um, Navy was down to Bath Ironworks uh, just last season, and he has declared that we cannot lose Bath Ironworks. And just a few years ago, they were strongly thinking about rolling it up mm. and going with just the uh, Pascagoula shipyard down in Mississippi. Um, in the meantime, Bath has made stunning um, achievements in uh, well, they've reordered their shipyard. They no longer uh, send boats down the ways. They launch them on a level and build on a level now instead of on an incline. Right. And they have up their efficiency quite a bit. They've been building these uh, DDG destroyers, the Arleigh Burks. That uh, you know, um, you got to have a navy. Some people wonder if if uh, you know how much do we put into it, but you got to have a navy and you got to have a shipyard. So perhaps we could agree on that. These Arleigh Burke. Uh, Destroyers over the five years they've been building them, they've knocked a million man hours off of building one of those things. One, wow.
3: Steep learning curve. <laughs> that's kind
0: of impressive, isn't it? Yeah, you know, a million a, million man hours is.
2: Uh, yeah, and the rate per hour—that's that's a lot of money that's uh, being. Yeah, saved. I don't know if saved is quite the
0: right word, but. <laughs> so anyway, Bath Iron Works uh, not going anywhere in the near future. Uh, Buzz Pinkham, remember Buzz? We've been talking to Buzz for the last oh, couple right. of the, years. The Pumpkin Man yes. from down to Damerscot. Buzz owns uh, Pinkham's uh, greenhouse and nursery down there. And every year, it's become a, a yearly thing here from the working waterfront. Uh, a cover of the uh, Columbus Day event downtown Damerscotta on the river there, and they launch uh, thousand-pound pumpkins. And one had a sailing rig. Others had motors and oars. And and of course, uh, there was crashing and burning and rescuing, and and just a big crowd and. And, you know, as much to the point as anything else, a lot of happy merchants that Saturday morning, you know. Right. So, pumpkin boat. We didn't talk to Buzz this year, but it's good to see that he's... Well, it's a good thing to think about every Columbus Day to
2: go down to Damascotta and see this. It's fun that just can't be squashed.
0: He's... uh, (laughs) Ah, he
3: is the punny one, isn't he? Yes. How big are those pumpkins, anyhow? Oh,
0: talking uh, a 1,000-plus pounds. Wow, bigger than my boat. Yeah, and you can... uh, Good point. (laughs) And you could... uh, (laughs) You can, uh, he says, put, uh, what, 38 pounds on a pumpkin in a day. Wow. And oh. they do it at a sand base. You can see the sand moving, and yeah. uh, it's more exciting, they think, than watching paint dry. So. <laughs> um, but you got to pound the nutrients in the water right to them, of course. Right, you know? I'm sure there's a yeah, that's pretty that's, intensive that's process. The, and one of our questions was, okay, if we're going to turn these things into boats, could we encourage them to grow boat shape? Could we grow them in a mold? Sure. Some kind of, you know. And <laughs> we think not because of the the expansion uh, problem, you know. They're right. you have to out figure out time. how to
3: contain them. Yeah,
0: but we like to, you know, anything anything with a boat, and we'll tack it in any direction we can here at Boat Talk. <laughs> so that's what we're doing this morning. Wouldn't be exactly gorgeous. Here's an interesting one from the, uh, you know, uh, oh, price of gas has gone way up from the working waterfront, Colin Woodward's uh, Parallel 44 column points out that the cat ferry is endangered. Um, has been going back and forth between Bar Harbor and Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, and also right. um, down to Portland, Portland and Yarmouth, yeah. Nova Scotia. Well, it has been losing big this last year. Hmm. It burns about 1,300 gallons an hour. Phew. When oh it goodness. first got here, diesel was 80 cents a gallon. It's it seemed not like a good idea at the time. Yeah, it's not 80 cents a gallon anymore gets over to um, yarmouth and portland in six hours the scotia prince used to take eleven and it's a totally different trip people say and uh... the government of canada has a ferry policy and and some of its written right into the constitution they have to provide certain ferries for instance in newfoundland they do not have to provide this ferry they are subsidizing it and this last season they put a big subsidy in and saying that they couldn't see it go in the middle of the season but they are not um, looking hard at subsidizing it and uh, neither is Maine, and what will happen to the uh, you know, the Nova Scotia Ferry is a good question. A uh, related issue, they just built the Ocean Gateway Terminal Pier down in Portland, and one of the decisions they made was not to have a deep water berth. Cruise ships cannot go in there. That was one of the original concepts, uh, but they didn't right. go that way. Their only customer is the Cat Ferry. Oh, dear. Yeah. Just finished that for 21 million bucks. Well, the other side of the coin is that if the
2: ferry wasn't there, the people would be spending a lot more gas to drive all the way up and around to get to Nova Scotia. So oh, yeah. So they might be willing to pay for a higher price ticket.
0: Yeah. When I lived down in Nova Scotia, I lived on the uh, northeast corner of the province and, and uh, Yarmouth in the southwest corner, and it really didn't do me much good. <laughs> the uh, only time I hitchhiked across there, I ended up spending the night in the Yarmouth uh, police station <laughs> uh, as a guest. As a guest. It, yeah, was, it, was, it was raining very hard. It was raining. Nice of them. So, anyway, uh, yeah, where else are we here? Uh, well, let's talk about the lobstermen, too, before we get to the sad part. Um, of course, the price of lobster has gone way down at the dock and also in the supermarket. And, of course, prices are still up for everything else that lobstermen need, and a lot of them are trying to balance, um, you know, is it worth me to go out today? Mm-hmm. You know. Well, I found there's
2: several now who are quite willing to sell lobsters directly to people because oh, they're getting a higher price. Sell.
0: So uh, if you know a lobsterman, here's a good time to have yeah. some lobster for Thanksgiving. So everybody's been helping them out as much as possible. Uh, from the Ellsworth American, the headline is lobstermen have never been more popular. They had a big sale down in Stonington uh, at least once, maybe twice. Uh, merchants in Rockland have been buying lobsters and giving them out to people, mm-hmm. then, uh, promotion uh, things going on. And other people, uh, interestingly, are thinking about the you know how the lobster industry works, and what I don't think a lot of people understand is that we send about three quarters of our lobsters down to the Maritime provinces, Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, and they are processed there on government wharfs with subsidized uh, little plants. You know, right. and is that like sending trees across to Quebec exactly. to get sawn up into two by fours and Ship back to, you know. Right. Yes, and should we add more value? But on the other hand, maybe it's kind of tricky. They've got the infrastructure. They've done it with, uh, um, you know, they're a little more socialist than we are down there. There's uh, the government's been involved in it. And it's a seasonal business. So they are very big down there, as I know as a former resident. Um, the dream is to have a season off on the pogey, they call it, the unemployment, okay? And it's mm-hmm. a lifestyle for a lot of people. It, it, it actually is. Right. My landscaper friends, you know. Sure. Um, just for instance. And uh, they perhaps, uh, you know, deal with that better than we do. They got it going should we try to reinvent their wheel. Other people are saying that uh, uh, perhaps the idea might be to uh, do a different s- um, set of scenarios on who can fish where in the state of Maine have different areas open at different times. For instance, in Nova Scotia, the season is about to open off of uh, southwest Nova Scotia. It's a winter season, hmm. okay? They're all about to come on the market and very worried about the price. Right. Because theirs are coming on, they're not worried about us right now, are they?
3: Not too much. Doesn't seem so. No,
0: and if we had closed fisheries in Maine where, let's, for instance, um, you, know, uh, you could only fish zone one in the winter or you know, whatever, um, what are those people going to do the other half of the year? It's not like you can go ground fishing or scalloping or or shrimping like you used to have uh, your your finger in a lot of different fisheries. So interesting uh, times of change in the lobster industry, and uh, you know lots of grist for the mill here at Boat Talk. That's what we're doing this morning, and uh, we we'll get to uh, we'll get to Steve Rinker in a little bit. But we got to talk about some people who have drowned too, and. Uh, Yeah, We do that a lot around here. It seems to come up on a regular basis. and and, uh, You know, I guess that's one reason why boating can be so satisfying, because um, inherently it is kind of dangerous. And if you succeed in learning and making yourself safe, uh, you know, there's a joy in that. You can learn something literally every Mm -hmm. time you go for a boat ride. But there's been a couple people drowned. There was a a 22-year-old kid, Chris Whitaker, um, lost off of... Matinicus Island, in a, out fishing in a 21-foot skiff at uh, the end of October there. And, uh, you know, they found his lunch bucket and his uh, foul weather gear, and, and uh, that's all I believe they found found him so far. So fishing off of Matinicus in a 21-foot open boat is... By yourself. By yourself. You do it because you, you, you can and you got to. And, uh, you know, let's imagine a scenario. He's pulling up a trap. Um, he gets hung up, the gunnel dips underwater, and the boat fills with water, he's in the water, and he has gone. Right. You know, so anyway, that was uh, off of Botinicus last month, just this weekend up to Dover-Foxcroft. Uh, four fellas, okay. lifelong friends from Dover-Foxcroft, um, on Bowerbank Pond, and uh, they were over to hunting camp, and they got in a 12-foot aluminum boat, come back across the pond Sunday, and they took off from the shore Uh, The fellow who was steering noticed right away that they were taking on water. They uh, turned the boat around, headed back to shore. Before they knew it, the boat was full, they were in the water. Um, There were four of them and three life jackets. Now they discussed who was going to do what. Um, One fellow swam to shore. He's a district court judge up up in Dover-Foxcroft. He lived Um, Another fellow stayed with the boat. He lived, okay? The other fellows, I don't believe they put the life jackets on because they found the second one on the bottom of the pond this morning in eight feet of water, 50 feet from shore. Both of the fellows they found were quite near shore. The water temperature was 46 degrees. Doesn't Um, take long. Doesn't take long. And, uh, you know, they uh, originally discussed what their plan was, and it didn't work and uh you know like I say these lifelong friends one was a fellow died who was a teacher and the other was a, uh, a local garage owner in Dover Foxcroft and you know what do we uh what do we bring from that they overloaded the boat for the first thing yeah Sounds un- like un- it.
2: under life preserved it too they if the wardens had caught them the judge probably would have gotten district <laughs> court fly. judge
0: you think he'd be you think, think he'd think. be embarrassed but there's a lesson there too isn't there i yeah. mean you know and there's Certainly. the boat. Let's go. Nobody's immune. Nobody's immune. So uh, you know, nobody's really holier than now and, and the law is not a guarantee that everybody's gonna just do what even, you know, even law enforcement officials. So, um, you know, tragedy up on Bower Bank Pond there and they found the other guy uh, yesterday and so anyway, they overloaded the boat and uh again that was their hunting camp. They've been going there for years and uh, you know, doing that and who thought it would end up like that and there's a tragedy, so 1-866-625-9378.
2: Would you like to just add your comments to Boat Talk?
0: Yeah, and we got, uh, like I say, Steve Rinker from Hamden in this morning, and he is going to be a participant in something called the Around in 10 Challenge. One more uh, note from the paper here. The Vendee Globe Racers just left France the other day, and 30 boats set sail, and the Vendee Globe is a 25,000-mile-around-the-world race. And uh, they don't stop, is their thing, okay? (laughs) And they just bash through um, a guy guy named uh, Bruce uh, Plant. Um, uh, I'm sorry, Bruce Swab on Ocean Planet was the first American to ever uh, successfully complete that. It was a boat fitted out in Portland. And uh, one of the boats, uh, again, was fitted out down at Portland Marine Service's main yacht center down in Portland. And the Vendy Globe people have just left France going around the world. Now, our friend Steve here... (laughs) Send us an email, and this is why it's so fun to be the boat talk people <laughs> sometime. My name is Steve Rinker. I live in Hamden, Maine, and I work for Artisan Buildings and Artisan Builders. and I'm I am uh, a participant in the Around in 10 Challenge, a race around the world in 10 foot long sailboats. In the spirit of Serge Testa, the current record holder, the race will attempt to set a record for the smallest sailboat to circumnavigate the globe with a scheduled departure from the Bahamas. January 10th, 2009, we're going west, uh, headed for the Panama Canal. My boat is called the Floating Bear. It is an 800-pound kite-powered, water-ballasted sailboat with a solar electric system, VHF radio, GPS, and satellite messenger system to track progress in real time using Google Maps. The Bear is being built by me in a spare bedroom on a shoestring budget. So far, all construction funds have come from small sources with no corporate sponsorship. I'd like to raise awareness of my effort, possibly generate some local Maine support by appearing on your radio program. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway. We're well, uh, yeah, we going have a yeah. phone call, so let's, let's get to that yeah. before we get to Steve and his
2: floating bear. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk.
4: Hey, good morning. Um, tell us anything that you know about the freak tide that we had, the, uh, the Little uh, tsunami with no uh, with no um, seismic activity related to it.
2: I-, I only heard that it happened. I haven't heard anything more about. I tried
4: myself. to find it on the internet, and there's very little uh, information published on it.
2: It was what down around um, Bristol was it? Uh, sub- somewhere further down the coast, wasn't it? Fort
0: um, uh, hap-
4: Harbor, Booth Bay. Uh, uh, tide went out when it was in, from what I understand, and then came rolling back with a big wave and uh, damaged the uh, the ferry um, uh, mooring at one of the islands.
0: When was this? All right, help me out. When was that?
4: In the last, within the last two weeks,
0: the well, tide was high, and a wave went out and then came back in again. Yep. Wow, I would have liked to seen that.
4: They, they said that it happened once before in 1924, I believe it was, and again there was no seismic activity uh, related with it, In there was no no shift out in the you know under the continental shelf in the ocean. And In the Earth crust. I mean,
0: yeah, is that what a tsunami does? Does the does the, the ocean actually recedes before the wave gets there? Doesn't it? Yeah. Well,
4: yeah, a real one, but there's usually an undersea earthquake right. you know, somewhere. Well, there's, apparently there's no seismic activity. So,
3: well, there could have been. A, there could have been an underwater slide that would not necessarily register as seismic activity. But you you would think something to move that much water would
4: would uh, um, you know they, they they can find bomb tests and stuff with with seismic, uh, uh,
3: with you know with seismograph. Right. It would depend on the proximity of the event, to I'm not
0: paranoid, but I'm worrying there's something they're not telling us for our, our supposed own good here, you know? <laughs> yeah,
4: really. Okay, let me get off here.
0: Thank you. Wow. Well, um, the only time I've ever heard of the water leaving like that was in Halifax in 1917. was the biggest man-made explosion before Hiroshima. A munitions ship blew up, and it blew oh yeah. the water out of the harbor. Mm-hmm. um blue halifax yeah. right off the map killed a couple thousand people and like i said but it the harbor was blown dry and mm-hmm. uh seeing the water recede like that i'd like to see that <laughs> from a parking lot i believe
3: right from a <laughs> from a safe distance yeah right. huh well
2: if anybody else knows anything about our uh, mystery tsunami one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight is the number in the Boat Talk.
0: Yeah, and like I said, we have Steve Rinker in this morning. Steve's from Hampton. He wants to uh, race around the world in a 10-foot boat. Again, the website is um, aroundin10, spell the uh, number 10, dot com, if you want to look at a couple pictures. Um, Steve, how, how did this idea
3: come to you? Well, I can't take credit for the original idea. Uh, Nick Dwyer. One of the event organizers came up with the original idea for the challenge. I just happened to find it on the internet as a part of my uh, research into boat design. And looked at it, uh, oh, about a half a year ago and said, hmm. And didn't think much again about it until just recently when I really did have a hankering to go have an adventure. And uh, re-examined it and... And uh, here I am. And
0: that's a big part of what this is about, having an adventure, isn't it?
3: Well, certainly, you know, adventure is something that's important to me and and to a lot of us. We like to feel, to have a little excitement in our lives.
0: Down to the uh, boatyard where Alan works, um, you know, you ask the boys, say, how's it going today? And they go, living the dream. And sometimes that's a (laughs) sarcastic comment, you know. So... uh, you know, living the dream, basically, and that's a big thing around Boat Talk. We, uh, you know, we talk about people's dreams and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well,
2: let, let's back up a little bit and then have you ex- explain a little bit more in detail what the Around in 10 is really going to involve, how many stops, and how many entrants there are, and what the uh, restrictions are.
3: Right. Well, currently there's three entrants. Uh, the, the race as it is begins in Nassau. And the first mandatory stop is panama uh now the the rules for the event and you know where the mandatory stops are when the race begins when it ends that's all up to the racers the racers made made the rules the racers are the only ones who can change the rules so it's a kind of an open source project
0: that's kind of interesting mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah when yeah, there's three of you, and you need to come to 100% votes on some stuff, I noticed.
3: Yeah. Right, well, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Okay. For instance,
0: no multi-hulls was one. Right, won.
3: that was an early decision, yeah. was not to have any multi-hulls. Yeah. And there, was, there were a lot of people right away who that was a deal-breaker for them. Hmm. They wanted to do it in a multi-hull, and that wasn't going to happen.
2: All right, let's see what one of our callers has
0: to yeah, say. Yeah, the phone's ringing here at one eight six six we are doing Boat Talk this morning. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk.
5: Thanks. This is Fred in St. George. Hi, Fred. Um, me, uh, being the uh, avid amateur engineer, um, immediately I start working on the thing. And uh, so it's, um, okay, no multi-hulls, uh, Fore and aft is 10 feet, everything else is open. All other specs, dimensions.
0: That's correct. Yeah, you can have removable appendages.
3: <laughs> removable appendages. Can
0: make the boat longer than 10 feet. There's a design with a bow sprit, for instance. The rudder could hang out, hang off the back, but it's got to be 10 feet uh, stem to stern.
3: There was also uh, a consideration, no uh, stabilizing foils on outriggers.
0: I thought of that right away, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... Uh, I think what I would look for would
2: be a golden parachute.
0: (laughs) Well, and we'll get to that because, uh, unusually enough, we haven't mentioned this yet, Steve is uh, not going to power the boat conventionally Uh, now. Interestingly enough, if you go to the um, roundin10.com website, as Steve pointed out, what a lot of people have done is is, uh, take a boat which looks like a real boat and try to shrink it into 10 feet. Um, Steve has come up with a slightly different concept. He's made a little, uh, it's kind of a double-ended little pod. And um, it's going to be powered
3: by kites.
5: Mm. Uh, the kites like uh, board sailors use.
3: Right, actually, uh, a couple of different kinds of kites, but one of them is a uh, kite very uh, exactly like what board sailors use. Right.
0: Which is a whole different set of problems. Uh, now the mass presses you down into the water when the force is on the sail. The kite is lifting you out. Huh. And it's also, um, if I could hear. Uh, Oh, let's see if I get this one handy. This is uh, one of my favorite little uh, things I found when I was uh, uh, looking around here. Is by k- kite surfing. Warning: Kite surfing is an extreme sport that requires a high degree of water confidence and a good understanding of kite, kite flying skills. The lightweight foils are extremely powerful and often overwhelm the novice and may place them in dangerous situations. And so on and so forth. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we've we've uh, solved a problem, but we've made some new ones. Right, engineering wise right. speaking, Fred. You know. Uh, so what are you thinking of the concept so far? How, how are you going to go?
5: Oh, uh, I'm just going to go in my mind. But mm. it's um, well, who's who's the guy who uh, years ago had an 8 Bill foot? Dunlap. Bill, Bill Dunlap. Dunlap. I saw I saw his boat in uh, Falmouth and. Uh, just blew my mind that he made it across the Atlantic and didn't make it across the Pacific. If I remember correctly, yeah. That's I right.
0: used to see his wife at the uh, supermarket in Mechanic Falls after he disappeared, and she yeah. was pretty unhappy. So, mm. yeah.
5: But um, that's uh, that's the price of dreaming sometimes.
0: Well, uh, voyaging across the ocean in small boats is not a new uh, trick, and uh, people've been doing it forever. Uh, there was a book, mm. and I've been looking hard for it. It was about uh, it was a survey of small boat boat voyages. And uh, they had it at the Ellsworth Library, and I can't for the life of me find it. If somebody can come up with that, I would be very interested. Um, you know, and they don't all end successfully. Let's let's right. just be right up front about it. So, yep. well, even big boats too. So, <laughs> my favorite one was a fellow who was—I uh, guess he was an Englishman. He was wanted to row the Atlantic. He uh, got a lot of publicity, and women—you uh, know—wrote to him and proposed to him and stuff. And uh, he he went out. He got slammed. He come back, and he, he married this lady who you know he met through. His fame.
3: Okay? Tough way to get a date, though. Yeah, and then,
0: and then went and tried again, and I believe they got slammed back, and then they went and tried again, and there's a photograph of her sitting on the, on the boat at the dock right before they leave. She doesn't look happy Not at happy. all. They were never seen again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Fred, thank you for the call. We have another one to yeah, get to. Yeah,
2: thanks very much. All 625 1-866-625-9378. We have another call. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good
6: morning, gentlemen. This is Tim in Brooklyn. Hey, Tim. Uh, you, I, my attention was caught by the the mention of that odd tide, where that uh, I don't know it was either the tide was should have been coming in or, or going out, and it was doing the reverse. Right. Uh, I just there was an article in the Bangor Daily News. Uh, actually, it was an op-ed piece by Gwen Dyer, and it was titled "Arctic Methane Releases Worse Than Financial Crisis." And he notes that. Uh, an Orjan Gustafson of Stockholm University who was aboard a Russian research ship that Jacob smirnitsky in the Arctic Ocean located in an extensive area of intense methane release where it's bubbling up in what they call chimneys and this is from global warming this is methane that's been frozen at the bottom
3: right, methyl hydrate
6: well, yeah, and well it's actually it's not in just the Arctic too it's in these, these, these methane hydrates that are Kind of like a methane water slush, and it's at low levels wherever the temperature sustains them in the ocean. Right. And this, the the fact that this was a non, there was no seismic signature. I mean, this would be just a perfect kind of thing—a bloop free of, of uh, something breaking, free from. You know, wouldn't we wouldn't have that shuddering rock against rock thing? It'd be just a you know, frankly, excuse me, but a, a, a an ocean fart. <laughs> and, and perfect. But yeah, perfect except except all that methane. There, there's 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 billions and billions of tons of it down there and it is twenty times as as effective a greenhouse gas Producing gas as, as carbon dioxide. Mm. So I guess on that happy note, I'll leave you. But th- thanks for the
0: time. Bye. Well, that's kind of interesting, uh, Tim, and uh, referencing a column by Gwyn Dyer in the Bangor Daily News. He is uh, that I find him pretty interesting. We graduated from the same small university in Nova Scotia. We did me and Gwyn Dyer, uh, St. Francis Xavier University, and and uh, so I, I like his stuff. And if he said so, I'd pay attention. So giving mm. that fellow a plug. Uh, very interesting. Who knows? Uh you know, like you say, and why why wasn't that bigger on the news?
3: Right. Uh the methyl hydrate and methane release has been uh put forward as a possibility for explanations of many boat disappearances. Well, I've
2: heard of that. if you had to be at the wrong place at the right time you're just sailing in air rather than water.
3: Exactly. All of a sudden you go from a medium that displaces one gram per cubic centimeter or sixty four pounds per cubic foot to something less than ten pounds per cubic foot mm-hmm.
0: forgive me i've been told in the past never to be the devil's advocate around uh... different places uh, around here but uh... i've heard that that global warming's a liberal plot to take uh... you know advantage of uh, corporations and stuff so who knows wow very very interesting though I, i'm sorry i missed that tide if you didn't hear we we're talking about a uh little event that happened when the uh water receded when it should have been tide coming in recently and then a wave come back in and well i do
2: know that the wave breakers at the bass harbor ferry terminal were broken you no know, about three weeks ago now that might have been they had the same some time. storm
0: damage uh well who knows yeah
2: good point <laughs> i it i believe it happened at night so i yeah i just remember it coming in and seeing some missing parts there
0: wow very interesting Anyway, nobody's on the phone at the present time. We're about halfway through Boat Talk, and uh, it is, you know, a show that contemplates things naval, and we uh, interrupt ourselves any time to talk to you. The phone number? one 625 9378 Yeah, and again, we're talking to Steve Rinker this morning, and he has built a boat called the Floating Bear, and uh, if you go to his MySpace page, uh, myspace.com, slash the floating bear there's some great pictures there and here's one of uh you lowering the boat out of the bedroom window second right. floor coming down a ladder you built the you built your uh world challenge uh craft in the spare bedroom steve
3: that's right i i looked at a few different places to build the boat and uh suddenly had a realization that it's only 10 feet long <laughs> and while that might be a liability in some ways. It's also an advantage in the sense that you can pretty much build it anywhere mm-hmm. in a phone booth almost. Very portable. Yeah. So, so you're not married, right? <laughs> I'm not married, but I have a life partner, uh, Jenny. And, and
2: she tolerates having a boat in the
3: house, huh? Jeez. Yes. Tolerates is a good word for it. Um, out the window, huh? <laughs> she's a very supportive person. That's good. We'll have it's, another phone.
0: Uh, it's built out of plywood and epoxy and cloth and stuff, and uh, That's right. it's a dusty uh there's grinding involved it's a dusty uh process no yeah sands or butts there's a goop and dust and you know
3: I tried not to get too uh obsessive with the level of finish of the outside of the boat mm-hmm. because yeah uh, you know you can take weeks and weeks and create tons and tons of dust in order to make a perfectly smooth finish of the top sides of your boat it's not something that was really important to me mm-hmm. Uh, the bottom being smooth and efficient through the water, that is important. That's important,
2: yeah. We have another phone call. Let's go to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk.
7: Hello, Boat Talk dudes. This is Gray and Hancock. Hey, Good
0: morning, Gray. What are you thinking?
7: A uh, couple things. One, um, about that big, big title event, a wave, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I've spent a lot of time reading 18th century uh, magazines and newspapers from England, and yeah, almost every month they would report stuff like that, you know, like the Thames came up and flooded everybody's uh, fields with with salt water, and people had to be rescued from the second floor of their houses, you know uh, hundred and fifty miles from the sea there there's always been all kinds of stuff that happens that we don 't understand, and uh, this is one of them, and i, I don 't think you necessarily need to feel there's something nefarious going on or, or necessarily dangerous. This is just a uh, Mother Earth. Giving us a little shake, um, but what I really wanted to talk about, uh, ask about, was the the uh, the ten foot boat that your guest is um, yes, is Steve. planning to uh, to take off in, and I I Mike I saw Mike yesterday and he showed me the the pictures of it and all I could think about was that you get in any kind of uh, any kind of sea whether it's a storm or a swell or whatever that thing is going to be rolling around and it's got no keel I don't know if it has ballast. But I just wonder how are you going to deal with the fact that, that, like, if you do get into a blow or some weather, you're going to have to take in your propulsion gear, and you're going to be like going head over heels and around and around. And um, I don't know, my stomach would stand that, but it's you know for a few hours of that, got to be really really harsh uh, harsh environment to survive in. I was was wondering how he's going to deal with that.
3: Well, that's a good question. Uh, It's certainly will be a rough ride at times uh you know contrary seas and storms and such will are going to produce motion in the boat that is just not comfortable uh the entire inside of the boat is going to be padded to help prevent uh you know serious injuries to me bouncing around inside the boat. Uh, I'm planning on taking a crash helmet and harness so that I can tie myself down to the bottom of the boat. It will be ballasted. Huh. Uh,
2: it's water ballast, right?
3: Water water ballast.
2: And it's going to be in a separate compartment, so the water will always stay at the bottom of the boat?
3: That's correct. The, the water ballast and, well, everything in a, in a boat of this size and displacement is ballast, if it has any weight at all. So everything that weighs approximately as much as water or more needs to be considered as part of the ballast of the boat. Everything will be in separate containers secured to the floor of the boat, including me.
7: Yeah. Have you, have you thought of some kind of hammock arrangement so that you could at least avoid some of the uh, yeah. stuff?
3: Yeah, I have thought about a hammock and I haven't ruled it out. I may get a chance to test out the hammock idea. Um. One of the considerations is keeping the weight as low as possible. I'm concerned with being in a hammock. you Your weight is actually supported somewhat above the floor of the boat. And so I, I may try a hammock, but I have some reservations about suspending my weight from further up.
7: Yeah, I, w- I would too. But I would think it's in, maybe in moderate seas it might offer you some relief from the... Uh the sharpness of of the motion It might you know it just might ease it out a little bit and give you some give you some relief obviously in a in a with your part of the ballast you don't want to be suspended up uh up high like that
3: right um, but in a more moderate situation it it might be more comfortable
7: um, yeah, you might be able to get a couple hours of sleep <laughs> right anyway thanks great show and i wish you all all, all good luck and uh, i assume that the boat once you uh, embark the uh boat talk uh website will have some connection to your progress.
3: Well, certainly the Around in 10 website will, and uh, hopefully the Boat Talk guys will...
0: Yeah, we've yeah. been we've been talking about uh, how to share the publicity of, of uh, you know whatever we can make out of this interview here. But anyway, thanks for calling this okay. morning, Greg.
3: Bye-bye.
0: Thank you, Greg. Yeah, the Boat Talk number, 1-866-625-9378. We're talking to Steve Rinker this morning about his Round in 10 boat. Now, uh, design-wise, uh, this boat, uh, like I say, is water-ballasted. Did we just lose something there?
2: Yeah, we lost our headphones, but I think okay, we're, we're still still, still we're on still the working. air. Apparently, went quiet
0: in here for a minute. Uh, um, it's water ballasted, uh, eight hundred pounds of water. Um, it has uh, leeboards for directional stability.
3: Yeah, single leeboard,
0: single leeboard. And uh, when you made the boat here, looking at your construction photos, it seemed to me that uh, you built it stub-ended and then and then added a bow to it. That's correct. What's with the bow thing being added on there? Well, uh, what's in there?
3: The bow, the two bows uh, are... double-ended, double yeah. Right. Are both constructed out of solid um, extruded polystyrene Flotation. Foam. So we're talking about flotation. Yeah, on both ends. That's interesting. The total, bow, total weight of the boat, all up and ready to go, six to 800 pounds, um, it, most of that, are things that weigh as water or things that weigh less or less dense than water? There's only a few items that will actually sink if you drop them in the ocean. One of them being the battery. Yeah.
0: Uh, so you're prepared to uh, float and roll, so to speak. And you know,
3: float and roll. If the boat gets holed or otherwise completely filled with water, it will still float.
0: Let's mention that in a 10 foot boat, Strictly speaking, we, we haven't got to the livability issues yet, uh, you know, but, um, you know, besides uh, creature comforts, there's no room for a life raft.
3: No, no. The boat itself has to be at least as seaworthy as a life raft mm-hmm. because there's no room for one. Wow, yeah. man.
0: Anyway, the phone is ringing. Yeah, we have another call. We have
2: two, actually. Good morning. You're on Boat Talk next.
4: Good morning. This is Captain Yo.
2: Oh, Captain Yo, Captain Yo, how are you? Or, this primarily,
4: I would say that um going to sea in such a small boat is uh unseaman like to the verge of insanity, but I'm very impressed with the young man's thoughtfulness. The the question that I have is uh how are you gonna
0: deal with drinking water?
3: Good question. Yep. Good question. Very
0: seaman like, yo. Know.
3: Right. Uh, Drinking water is going to be the ballast. One of the primary ballast components is going to be drinking water. And as it's consumed, it gets replaced with seawater in these watertight, secured containers. So
2: you have a water bladder that has the fresh water in it, and the seawater will squeeze the fresh water out? Is that how it works?
3: Uh, actually, um, um, the, I'm using several different containers uh, in case any one of them becomes compromised, either contaminated or ruptured. There will be seven more containers that can do the job, eight total. Um, and they're separate components that are secured inside the boat. Uh, some of them will have food, some of them will have fresh water. All of that weight will be replaced by seawater as required to keep the boat in trim. Right. As a backup, I'm also going to be bringing a uh, emergency reverse osmosis water maker. A
2: little hand-powered one? That's correct. right. Well, very good question, Yo.
0: Yeah, of course, the... um, um, as they point out in the race information here, there's strategy involved. Uh, You have to only make three stops, but um, perhaps you can only carry so much stuff. So what is your endurance uh, possibility at sea? Maybe it's faster to to not stop regularly and get replenished. You also mentioned shoestring budget. How do you race around the world on a shoestring budget? Isn't it like uh walking the Appalachian Trail? Don't you have to have things planned out when uh, at certain stops? you know
3: You do need to have things planned out, and uh, at this point, I mean your plan is always based on your resources that are available to you uh currently i've got it planned out as far as panama and at that point i'll have to make a decision based on whether or not i receive additional funds whether i can continue or not interesting yeah we have another
2: call so let's go to that one good morning welcome to boat talk
6: hi this is fred again
2: hi fred
5: uh just wondering steve about your experience at sea
0: (laughs) we were getting there thank you fred okay Yeah, Steve, that's my favorite Boat Talk question. What is it that made you stupid around boats, you know? And, and, uh, you know, what's your boating background?
3: Well, it starts with my father. Uh, He's the main reason that I'm so interested in boats. Uh, He was a Navy man uh, on submarines. And I guess I inherited his preoccupation with all things boats. I grew up being the son of a Navy man and having my ducks in order and getting interested in boats at a very young age uh i started sailing sailing when i was about 12 or 13 and a lot of inland water sailing some offshore experience mostly in the bahamas um and here in the gulf of maine a little bit never never a long ocean passage though never kite sailed around the world yeah (laughs) right
0: so anyway, anybody still on? Nope, nobody's still yeah. left on the phone. So anyway, uh, no, excellent question. Now, uh, and and let's talk about livability issues there. I mean, uh, 10-foot boat can make you crazy for, uh, you know, try living in a dome tent that doesn't pitch up and down and, and has everything you need in it. And you never get to go anywhere except for, uh, you know, in and around your tent. Sure. Um you have to carry uh, not only everything semen-like you need, but creature comforts as well. Right. Um, some entertainment, for instance. Uh, you get a little buggy out there, I would think.
3: Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd love to be able to take a little music along with me. I'm a, I'm a musician. It is one of my hobbies, and music is an important part of my life. It helps keep me on an even keel, so to speak. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, a little iPod with some music. Uh, some photographs from home. Maybe a harmonica? Perhaps a harmonica or something like that.
0: Uh, And like I say, livability is, is, um, you know, kind of um, determines how far you can go at one
3: jump. Right. This is a, this is a long process that needs to be taken step by step. It's not something you want to throw yourself into uh, without careful thought and planning and, just like a mission to the moon or any extreme projects there's a series of go no go stages where you look at it and you say well the next hurdle is uh my one week coastal trip and during that one week coastal trip you know this wouldn't be the first part but just taken as an example uh how is this working what's working what's not working and at any point i i reserve the right to say this is not going to work i'm not going to put myself through the this extreme discomfort or possibility of danger in order to achieve this goal
0: well and we've uh framed the thing in terms of dreams and let's face it, it could be a bad dream could be a nightmare
3: right you know right mm-hmm. very often we dream not uh, very often we're not we don't want to fulfill our dreams. Our dreams serve different functions. Sometimes they're just there as a, a mental exercise to keep us entertained. Uh,
0: we'll see. On the other hand, in my experience, things that are difficult and do, uh, you know, scare the crap out of you and, and almost kill you sometimes are some of the things that once you get past them are in retrospect are, can be very, very satisfying. We're back to the more adventure again. Now. You know? Right. We'll, we have another balance.
2: call, so let, yeah. let's go to that one. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk.
6: Hi, this is
1: Craig from Winter Harbor.
2: Hi, Craig. Good morning, Craig.
1: Hey, i got a follow-up on, I think it was Gray from Hancock, about that rogue wave or tidal uh, thing. I was wondering more, I was liking this idea of more of a natural event. I was wondering if it had something to do with the seasons and possibly density change and water turning over. Probably something more natural on the line of that. Any thoughts on that?
0: Um, I would think that would be more of a gradual process. This sounds like a kind of a sudden, uh, you know, explosion is purpose. not the, the right word, but like, say, an event, a, a, you know, a, a concrete mm-hmm. as an explosion or a, a moving of the tectonic plates or a, a methane gas release has been proposed as well. You know, I don't yes. know the seasonal thing would be um, abrupt enough to suck the water out like that.
1: Yeah. Yes. I was just trying to leave more
2: natural than devious.
0: Boy, we hope it's all it's a good reason for everything is is uh what I've learned and
3: not necessarily exclusive natural indeed. Right. Yeah, there <laughs> you go true. too.
0: All right, well just a few thoughts for it. All right. Well, thank thank you, you, Craig. Good morning. We're doing boat talk this morning. We're about three quarters of the way through it, it turns out. The number here, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. We're talking to Steve Rinker from Hamden. He's uh sailing around the world uh racing in a ten foot boat leaving in January. Now, let's go back to the kite thing again. You've you've um you haven't tried the you haven't tried the rig yet. Do you have any kite sailing experience?
3: Uh I've flown kites. I, I am not a kite boarder. Uh I have flown the type of kites that power those boards. With four control strings? With the four control lines. Right. I've also uh I'm a paraglider pilot. So paragliding is Kind of like kite flying, except that when you get it wrong, you fall out of the sky. There you go.
0: <laughs> Interestingly enough about the kites, uh, check this out a little bit. And with sails, of course, it's all about surface area of the sail, how how big's your sail. Right. With the kites, there's a lot more to it. How long's the string has a lot to do with it? You want to keep it, uh, the longer the string, the more the power. You want to keep the string as short as possible, it says, for... Um, whatever conditions. There's a little note here. It says showing up at the beach without multiple length lines is always a bad idea. They used to run them on reels when they first uh, invented them, for instance. And, uh, yeah, there's different factors about the powering of the kite. Can you run these things at night?
3: Do you have to see it? It's very helpful to be able to see the kite. I bet. And they crash, too. They fall in the water and things get tangled up. They do crash in the water. They do get tangled up. They can become giant. Uh, unnecessary sea anchors pretty quickly. Hmm.
0: Interesting. The phone's uh, still ringing here. Yeah, go we, go figure, you know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we have actually a couple of phone calls. one 625 9378 Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk.
5: Hi, Fred again. Hi, Fred again. Um, no, I, uh, speaking of dreams, um, I've noticed of my thoughts and fantasies and dreams sometimes as waypoints, uh, and uh, which uh, Sometimes uh, serve me very well to uh, get from one point in my life to another, and uh, I've, you know, they stay in the uh, theoretical realm. But I found that they uh, um, they've been a help sometimes. Oh, uh, also I've uh, I think I noticed that wave for what two two and a half weeks ago, three weeks ago. Uh, I was uh, at the edge of the ocean, and I'm keeping an eye on the tide coming and going. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, it just seemed. Uh, I'm pretty sure I saw it.
2: What time of the day was that?
5: God, good question. I'm in Tennant's Harbor. That was, eh, was two, three o'clock in the afternoon. Hmm. Huh? I, and I'm not sure.
2: It was a uh, a weekend.
5: Yeah, good question.
2: I think well, the damage to the Bass River ferry terminal happened on a weekend. So yeah, so I I'm believe Trying to make good. the connection. Yeah.
5: And uh, also uh, to Steve, um, a friend and I built a, uh, a bat glider, a, a, a regalo-wing right. uh, hang glider out of uh, bamboo and polyethylene plastic and radiator hose clamps and whatever else we needed.
3: Nice. And
5: it uh, didn't fly very much, but it. Was <laughs> a, uh, it uh, we were putting it together on the street in San Francisco and some guy was filming it, and I've never seen the film, but I hope it's uh, making the rounds, and I'd love to see it someday.
3: Maybe it's on YouTube.
5: Ah, well, well I'm not on the. Thank you very much. I think I will uh, go check that out. Ah. And uh, again, that was another dream, and uh, like I said, mostly in the theoretical stage, but uh, um, and and now with uh, Mr. Bur- uh, Mr. Obama as our president. Uh, we can dream again, some of us more guardedly than others. And uh, that's a good thing.
3: Well, well t- t- talk about putting theory into practice. He's got a tough job ahead of him. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
5: we, yeah. Oh, that understatement.
0: And that's the theme. What's life without dreaming?
5: Right. You know? Without a challenge.
0: Well, and, and on the other hand, uh, you know, nowadays we raise kids with elbow pads and, and helmets and stuff, and the safety factor is becoming right. more and more important. So, uh, yeah. Well,
5: and has and anyone... Uh, I saw that book on the bookshelf. The uh, dangerous book for kids. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's a, a quite a blast of uh, uh,
3: great book. Good. <laughs> Perfect response to the PC right uh, safety. Right.
0: Thing. Huh. <laughs> I that sounds that interesting. One. Oh dear. Yeah. Um, like I say, uh, you know, uh, hanging on a dream. And uh, mm-hmm. um, what else was going to say? There is uh, this uh, Nick Dwyer. Fellow, who's uh, uh, putting the race together, right. there will be a chase boat, for right. instance. But I don't imagine right. you'll be shadowed by somebody at all times because he can't be everywhere at once. And
3: he can't be everywhere. You
0: always. guys are also going to have satellite tra- transponders. Everybody's going to know where you are every minute of the day. Right. Um, there is, uh, you know, you do have some modern advantages. Certainly, certainly.
3: Stuff that Serge Testa didn't have. You know, on you, the
0: other hand, in the middle of the night when it's blowing 60 and, and the sea's running 30 feet or so, you're, you're by yourself.
3: You're going to feel alone at times, <laughs> certainly. Wow. But it's not an adventure if, 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 there's, if your safety net is so large that you can't fail. You know, you I, we put a man on the moon. You throw enough money and support at it, you can make anything happen. Yeah, the real trick is to decide how much. Where's the balance?
0: The buzz, right. the challenge, buzz, the challenge so buzz. to speak. Yeah.
3: Right.
0: Well, we still have one more call. Let's go to that. Thank one. Thank you, Fred. Anytime. He's uh, Fred's a regular suspect, so to speak. Anytime, Fred. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk.
1: Uh, good morning, gentlemen.
0: Good morning, Mike from Stonington. Yeah. The, uh, boat I... builder, boatyard owner, and I'm curious, what you make of this, Mike? Ah, uh, well.
1: You know, I'm an experienced sailor, but I don't have any experience with kites as propulsion. And I, I'm wondering, what um, what are you going to do? I, I, I mean, do you have to actively be in control of this rig all the time? Or, you know, are you going to be able to, to just set it up and go to sleep and, um, and, and, you know, let it hurtle you through the night? <laughs> or does it have to be actively managed?
0: Great question. It,
3: uh the short answer is it depends uh it depends on the point of sail and the type of kite being used at the time uh i plan to when when you're de- going downwind no problem anything up to uh 120 degrees off the wind it'll manage itself when you're sailing a beam reach I hope to, which is probably close to the highest point of sail that this boat will be able to manage is a beam reacher slightly higher.
2: What do you figure that angle is?
3: Uh, to the apparent, I, I would be really pleased if I could get 70 degrees apparent. That's not Yeah,
2: bad. yeah that'll work.
3: Um, at that point, uh, we need to do a little more technological application to come up with the self-steering mechanism. Uh, it's a very important part. It's one of the go/no-go no go things where if the boat will not steer itself on nearly all points of sail, uh, it's not a it's not a doable voyage.
0: I've sort of imagined a couple of a uh, really tiny you know uh, ten foot size boat winches, um, some lumars or you know uh, some variant little winches uh, on angle blocks because the lead is going to be up you know and little, right. little traditional boat winches to pull and pull the thing in.
3: Yeah, my my plan is to be able to use the pull of the kite to direct the uh, heading of the boat. We'll have and, and, different size kites as well. Right. Yeah. Right. Go ahead, Mike. Are
1: you are you choosing this rig because you? I guess I'm, I'm 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 assuming you're choosing it because you feel that ultimately it's going to be superior to a more traditional form that a that's probably being used by your competitors. Is that right?
3: Well partially although calling this a race is a bit of an overstatement yeah. the the idea that uh your act, you know your main goal is vying in competition with your other sailors is really not a part of it it's a survival situation and if one of my competitors is doing better than i am you know i'm not going to base my level of risk involvement on whether or not I'm in the lead of the race or not right I hope that the kite propulsion system will be more efficient but mostly to keep the legs of the voyage shorter and therefore more comfortable for me
0: let's think in terms of boat uh, design Mike uh, a displacement boat has a, a hull speed that depends on the waterline, and a 10-foot boat I believe is a little bit under four knots now a mast and a sail. When the when the force is on the mast, you're pressing down on the boat. Okay, there's compression there. The kite is trying to pull the boat out of the water. Now, if you right. can get the boat out of the water and onto a plane, it can go faster than four knots.
1: Yeah, he's got a lot of, lot more potential there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Several potentials, as a matter of fact. <laughs> uh, like I say, it's an extreme sport and quite dangerous. And you know, well, there's the famous CNN at... clip of the guy in. Florida in a, in a storm being sucked out of the water and smashed into a, the second story of a high-rise, you know. Right. Yeah. Well,
3: you, you know. hate it when that happens. They've been
0: yeah. running that clip over and over for a long well, time. They never well, show listen. the
3: clip of the guy, you know, executing the perfect 180 yes. off the top of the you know, wave.
0: Not as interesting as the high-rise intersection. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, before I go, I just want to tell you that, I mean, good luck. And in case you feel at any point that your boat is really on the small side, I just want to... I just want to let you guys know about a little article in the New Yachting World where it explains that a, a guy named Tom McNally, who right. I guess if, if you're used to these guys, you probably know about him, but he's about to sail across the Atlantic in a boat. He's 65 years old, and he's going to sail across the Atlantic in a boat that is 3 foot 10 inches long.
3: Wow, that's right. And uh, big sea, he calls it.
1: He's Man. planning on going from Cadiz to, um, to Puerto Rico, and then up to florida and then he's going to sail it back home across the atlantic by the northern Great. route
3: that's apparently. right man you can't so, even
1: stretch out so so you know you, you don't even come close to being
3: considered nuts so <laughs> i can't com- i can't compete with tom <laughs> that's, that's a luxury sure. out
0: there <laughs> 3 foot 10 it's that's barely room to, to sit, sit down um you know about um Oh, uh, whitewater kayaks, okay? They got these, uh, what do they call them, uh, the extreme whitewater kayaks, basically. They're a body fairing, is what they are. Right. Okay? You wear them. And, yeah, you know how you measure a custom, uh, uh, you know, playboat like that? It's by your inseam and your shoe size. Nice. Okay, it's a custom body fairing, on a ten boat, seems to me, in the same category. Well, oh, I'll tell you, about... it
1: doesn't look terribly elegant in the picture. No. <laughs> wow. <Yeah.
0: laughs> you got to go for volume, that's for yeah. sure. Ch-
1: check out the new Yachting World on page Thank you, 104. Mike. Uh, yeah. See. Yachting World. Talk okay. about
0: livability issues. Thank you, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, we're coming to the end of Boat Talk here. The phone is still ringing, and uh, this has been kind of an interesting hour. We like Steve, and we approve of his dream. We hope he survives it. And uh, I guess we're going to have to pay attention to you, Steve, and, and uh, follow you about and, uh, you know keep track and see what happens here we'd love to hear more about this yeah. keep well, track thanks.
2: of steve through uh, boat and you have a website too besides the uh, the Round and 10 website or is that just going to be your your
3: contact you, if you really want to track get the uh, most recent updated information uh, around in 10.com is the place to be
2: all right uh, well, I'm sorry we didn't have more, longer to talk, Steve, but we're up against the wall and we have to make room for mm-hmm. On the Wing coming up next year on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 102.9 in Bangor. Well, Mike, time to
0: wrap it up and head on out here. Yep, uh, we thank Amy for engineering this morning, we thank Steve for showing up, and we thank Schooner Fair for the uh, theme music, Eyes the Bye. I's the
1: I's the, the boat,
0: and Eyes the buy that sails her. Eyes the buy that catch the fish and takes home to lie,
1: Talk is made possible in part by the Red Fern Boat Company of Hancock County since 1982 offering maintenance, storage and restoration for power boats and sailboats also offering dockage on Mount Desert Island, redfernboat.com <laughs>